might be a Viking or a Saxon or a Roman, but tell me, do you like them? Would you sex them? Would you bone them? Would you go to bed with King Ethelred? Would you bunk William the Conqueror up in the sheets with Samuel Pepys? Mussolini was a meanie, led a fascist insurrection, but does he make you creamy? Does he give you an erection? Would you pork Richard the Duke of York? Does a boner start when you think of Bonaparte? Are you sexually aroused at the thought of Pol Pot? Historical hot or not? Hello and welcome to Historical Hot or Not, the only history podcast that looks at the life and times of history's most celebrated figures and asks, yes, but would you? It's the pod parchment that puts the ass in Anastasia. We leer at King Lear, and when we lay a monarch to rest, we lay a monarch to rest. I am Aidan McCaffrey, I am not a historian. And I'm Catherine Madder, and I'm also not a historian. But we are comedians and we are horny for history. We sure are. We're horny for dead queens and living kings, baby. Get a bit of that Charlie Tree action. If you, like, if you were to die, it's a big if. But if you were to die, Aidan, would you uh, find it respectful to have your body paraded through the streets, through two nations, <laughs> whilst people just took photographs of it? Only two nations. When I die, I want my body to be treated like the Olympic torch, basically, <laughs> and be paraded basically all around the world. I want well wishes like lining up. I want people. Mm making their babies kiss my cold dead corpse <laughs> and then i want to be embalmed like lenin uh and put uh, in a big mausoleum so just people can uh, uh just come and see me why they'd be coming to see me i don't know people would be like well, why are we seeing this guy i don't know he was an open mic comedian for a few years in england <laughs> but uh, they decided his body was worth putting on display so, oh interesting sure yeah i love the idea that you're on fire as well like the olympic torch <laughs> Just a flaming, stinking corpse. I mean, I might not make it all around the world if I'm flaming. What they could do is they could put like a little eternal flame in my belly button. So I'm like a cross mm. between a corpse and JFK's grave. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. What a lovely touch. When I die, uh, bury me in the ground I die upon. But what if you die in, say, somewhere slightly inconvenient to bury someone, like top of a double-decker bus? Guess I'm getting buried between the top and the bottom deck, aren't I? (laughs) Or just under the back seat, because the back seat protrudes slightly. So Mm -hmm. you could just have that and your name on it. And they'll think it's like a a bench dedication. But once the smell hits, they'll be like, no, I think she's buried underneath. I think she's buried (laughs) here on this bus. Yeah. What if you go out like Elvis on the toilet eating a burger? So I'm buried there like that? Well, I'd just be buried under the floorboards, wouldn't I? And then people have come around and they're like, it's a lovely house. We like the conservatory. But what the fuck is that smell? And I'm like, don't worry, it'll go away <laughs> soon. When the flesh is rotted off. And they'll be like, what What do you mean, the flesh? Just let the worms finish their job and uh, it won't smell anymore. It just needs a few more weeks. <laughs> now, that, now that we've talked about it, I don't think there's anywhere inconvenient to die in that sense. Because you can always bury someone underneath. You can always dig mm-hmm. up and you can always shove you in there. If the, if we learn anything from this podcast, it's that you can always shove it in there somehow. <laughs> you can shove anything in, as long as there's a hole, it's going in there. Uh, and the person with the hole wants you to. Hey, if it's consensual 
it's sensual. It's what I've always said on this podcast. People probably think they've waited a good amount of time to make humour out of this uh, Liz 2 dying situation. But that's only because they're listening to this podcast probably in around November when we release it, where naturally mm-hmm. the old body of Liz 2 is very much still a bit warm, in fact. It's fresh off the morgue slab, and uh, we're here joking about it. But where, how are you feeling about the whole Liz 2 situation? I'll be honest, I'll, I'll go as far to say she hasn't actually been on a morgue slab yet. She's been largely in transit. Um, <laughs> I, I'm really not bothered. I mean, it's sad. From a historical perspective, I think it is uh, a momentous occasion. It's sad that we will not probably not see a queen again in our lifetimes. Uh, she was the queen for a very long time. It's sad that a person has died. But also, I do not believe in the monarchy. I think that Buckingham Palace would make some fantastic uh, affordable housing uh, if we were to just turn it into flats. And I think the, the monarchy is very problematic. So, um, you know, two things. You can feel two things about a thing, can't you? How do you feel about it? Uh, I think she got what was coming to her. Um, <laughs> and by that, I just mean... She lived a largely uncontroversial life uh, within the confines of her wall and then died uh, peacefully and old. Yeah. I did like your, you'd like to turn <laughs> Buckingham Palace into flat. I'd love to see that debated on uh, Question Time. I reckon they would, you know, but they'd have to do it like, you know, with um, Battersea Power Station, they've turned it into flats, but only on the condition that it retains its, like, the aesthetic, the classic aesthetic it had. As a big factory. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be like a big factory with the big uh, chimneys, but they won't be active. And there'll just be loads of people living in there. Mm-hmm. They could do that. And that would be quite fun then when tourists visit, wouldn't it? Because they'd be like outside the gates taking photographs. And uh, I don't know, there'd just be some man in his underwear scratching his balls. Just Steve, <laughs> Steve who works down the pub, just be in there with a yeah. kind of a... Red strike, scratching his nuts. Yeah, three o'clock on a Wednesday. I think as well it would have to be uh, affordable. Like, it couldn't be like those flats in Nine Elms. I want the rent on these places to be 600 per calendar month and the people that that would attract to be living there. <laughs> people like me. So what we're saying is, Kathy, you're just being very selfish and like, you, just, you yeah. want a flat that you can afford. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll have that one. Near Green Park, yeah, I'll have that. What they should do is affordable housing, but there's one very nice one at the top that they can sell for a lot of money. And that's mm-hmm. the one that comes with a drive because that's mm-hmm. a big-ass driveway. <laughs> that's the one that Charles can live in. <laughs> yeah, lovely view of London. Biggest driveway in London. How about that? <laughs> Two minutes. Fucking massive, pal. Historical hot or not. We invented a dating app uh, called eTrust. Uh, upon which we've found profiles of various historical figures. We'll put them towards each other, uh, each episode, and decide whether we'd fuck them, I guess. The podcast notes do include a link to the Etro's profile picture, so while Kath's deciding whether she'd bang uh, this guy based on appearance, you can too. That's why this podcast's so fun. Tell your friends about it. Uh, This week, it's Aidan. Who have you got for me? We're going to do something a bit different. The prof pic is a hybrid photo. It's mm-hmm. a picture of their face, but it is also yeah. gives you a clue as to what they like to do in their daily lives. Okay, interesting. I'm intrigued. I've just sent you a picture of Vlad. <laughs> he is 45 and he is from Wallachia, which is uh, now part of modern day Romania. So what 
I'll say about this picture is, again, it's a drawing, which suggests olden times. He's wearing a headpiece that is so intricate uh, and so bejeweled, it looks like costume jewellery. Uh, it's sort of like a, a a velvet... You know those turbans that old ladies wear? And you're like, no, don't, don't wear that. Um, and then it's sort of got pearls all around it with this big old star. With uh, Is it a ruby? Like a square ruby in the middle of it. It's too garish to be nice, but it does mean that he's moneyed, so that's something I can get on board with. Yep. <laughs> he's got long, long hair, long brown hair. Again, I quite like quite like long hair, so go for that. Big fan of the brown eyes. Uh, a moustache. Not a massive fan of a moustache, but he can always whip that off, can't he? And this moustache looks like... It doesn't really look like a moustache as we know it. It looks like cat's tail that he's chopped off and that he's like sort of holding between by forcing his upper lip uh, Mm. to create a sort of clasp with his nose which is quite strong yes yeah it's like uh when you try and hold a pencil between (laughs) it's exactly like (laughs) your lip and nose Uh uh-huh only it's it's a cat's tail so from the, the picture of him yeah yeah he's hot the thing that's troubling me Aiden is the left side of this picture. What, what on earth um, could be troubling about the left side of the picture, Kath? Describe it. I think it seems very uncontroversial. Um, it's just the foreground. I don't know, I'm questioning. It's just some people hanging out. It's just people hanging around, just living their lives. They are hanging around. They're hanging around on giant spikes, though, that are kind <laughs> of going through through all of the really most important bits of them. And and they don't look too well, actually. I would go as far in to say that they look dead. <laughs> these people, Kath, you're so you're so over dramatic about things. <laughs> I hope they're dead. Actually, I think it would be a greater <laughs> kindness, uh, <Yes>. given what <laughs> this scene looks like. Is this Vlad the Impaler? It's Vlad the Impaler. Who? Hey. How, did you, how did you figure it out? Was it the image of him next to lots of impaled people? I'd let him impale me, Eden, thus far. Good. So, <laughs> basically, his face was fit, so you you didn't really mm. give a shit about the fact that he executed quite a lot of people. You know what? As long, as long as he keeps it away from the home, and I don't have to see it, I'm not too bothered about how he earns <laughs> his money. Well, so, like, as long as you don't have to get back from a hard day at work, and it's just, like the plumber impaled on a spike in the lounge. What did I say? What did mm. I say outside the house? Damn it, Vlad. Yeah. <laughs> so as long as I don't have to pay the rent, I don't have to keep subbing him on rent and stuff. Just, you know, it's fine, whatever. What an insight into your mind, Kath. You don't mind marrying <laughs> horrific murderers. As long as that £600 a month goes into your bank account, you don't give a shit what they get up to. Yeah. Nah, fuck it. Life's too short. This is Vlad the Impaler, also known as Vladimir III, also in the, I'm going to call him Vlad III. Vlad III was born in 1431 in Transylvania, a mountainous region in modern-day Romania, according to NBC News. His father was Vlad II Brukul, ruler of Wallachia, a principality located to the south of Transylvania. I don't know why NBC News has this. They've got this very detailed biography of Vlad III on the website, but it's NBC News. It's not like a history website, but they seem to have this very accurate account of his uh, life. But 
what with this story being 600 years old, we can safely agree it's not news. No. Makes me think that the NBC News website, any minute now, uh, are going to have a news flash where they announce that the War of the Roses has kicked off. (laughs) Who'll win? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Who is Henry Tudor? Uh, And an infographic on him. (laughs) According to National Geographic, his dad, Vlad II, was a member of the Order of the Dragon, a chivalric order and Christian military society. Upon joining the Order, Vlad II was granted the surname Dracul, which means dragon. His son, Vlad III, was known as Vlad Draculia, or Son of the Dragon. Oh, what a name. It's good, isn't it? If you're called Vlad Dragon, no one's going to be starting you on it in the pub. It makes you wonder why he had to impale people. You got a name like that. It's all you already sound fucking hard. Mm, if anything, that's cooler, son of the dragon. For a bit of a geographical context, at this time Transylvania and uh, Wallachia was sandwiched between the Christ- between Christian Europe and the Ottoman Empire. So it was often a scene of bloody battles and the tug of war of those powers. Uh, the Crusades were largely over by this point, but that struggle still kind of continued through that period. Uh, Wallachia was very much the boxing ring of the Crusades, with the forces of Christian Europe in the white corner wearing little white shorts with a red cross on it, and the Ottomans in the red corner wearing little red shorts with a white crescent moon and star on them. Fifteen rounds, ding ding, the prize is Jerusalem. First round, Christians win in a decisive victory capturing Jerusalem. Second round, the Muslims pin Christians to the rope and recapture Jerusalem. Third round, Christians come out punching but the Muslims retain Jerusalem. If it's unclear, a round in this skit represents an entire crusade. Fourth round, fourth crusade. Christians punch out the Muslims' gum shield, undeterred, pull a surprise, capture Constantinople. Fifth round, Muslims deliver a strong uppercut with victory, they retain Egypt. Sixth round, Christians come storming back with a strong left hook and recapture Jerusalem. Seventh round, Muslim comeback, they've retained Jerusalem. Eighth round, a draw, no land exchanged, no knockout, where the Ottoman Empire wins the fight on points, retains Jerusalem, and will next fight for control of Jerusalem, the Holy Land, against the Allied powers in 1914. We'll have to wait and see how that one pans out. I'm going to add some ding-dings to that. So if you didn't find it funny, Kath, it'll sound hilarious on the podcast. Oh, yeah, no, it was. It was great. Well done. (laughs) Big Um, fan. (laughs) We'll come back to the Crusades at some point. As I'm sure you're aware, this won't surprise you, what I just did was a gross simplification of hundreds of centuries of war. Um, but (laughs) But that's the benefit of it being a thousand years ago. You can just sort of brush past it. Muslims kind of won the Crusades because they kept Jerusalem. But the church actually did very well out of the uh, Crusades. Uh, they were much richer and they expanded their power afterwards. The church was basically like, didn't want Jerusalem actually, not interested. I just wanted to uh, increase the transport uh, networks in Europe, actually, not interested in the Holy Land. Yeah, and it's weird, isn't it? Because, I mean, now you would never think of a country making like money out of war. Well, yes and no. I mean, America was really rich after the war. <laughs> after World War One, they had, I think they'd hoarded all the gold reserves or something mad. So they were just fucking loaded. And then... I'll be honest, Aidan, I was, I was taking the piss there. Because oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> everybody makes money out of war. We, as a nation, are currently making money out of war. <laughs> Kath, you need to set off the satire siren if you're going to make stupid points like that. Otherwise, it's just going to go straight over my head. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this is why my comedy career is not going well, because when jokes are thrown at me, rather than yes and it, I know, but I'm going to a very serious <laughs> explanation of how economics works in warfare. <laughs> a 
Accord, also according to NBC News, in 1442, Vlad II was called to a diplomatic meeting in Gallipoli with the Ottoman Sultan Murad II, and he brought his young sons, Vlad III and Radu. But the meeting was actually a trap. All three were no. arrested and held hostage. The elder Vlad was released under the condition that, wait for it, he leaves his sons behind. Now, <gasps> I quite like this because I like the idea of the dad leaving the cell, goes to have the negotiation about what's going to happen, and then he comes back and says, all right, kids, I've got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> the good news, Christmas is back on. The bad news, you two won't be there. Cool, see you later. I'll send you a card. Bye, I love you. Bye-bye, <laughs> bye. I'll visit every week. Well, not every week. Gallipoli is quite far um, uh, I'll be there every six months. You'll be fine. Yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> Come, just don't bend over in the shower, and I'll be back mm. in six months, maybe, depending on the weather. Me and your mum could have more kids. It'll be all right. Don't worry. Stop <laughs> crying. She's still fertile. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> he was quite young as well. He was aged, because uh, we don't know his birth yet, but he was definitely aged between 11 and 14 at this point when, oh his, dad, when his dad sold him out for jail time. Uh, <laughs> I like how most parents are like, I'd do anything for my kids, anything. Uh, this guy's like, I'd do anything for my kids except jail time, even if the alternative mm. is them facing jail time because I know what goes on in those showers and I wouldn't wish that upon myself. My sons maybe, but absolutely not myself. No. So did he leave with like a plan to go back and get them or was it just bye forever? It looks like it was bye forever. It's worth pointing out the power dynamic because uh, as I mentioned that, Wallachia is like sandwiched between greater powers and they are very much in thrall to the Ottoman Empire. They often have to give them tributes. And apparently back then, this wasn't that uncommon that you just keep their children as like a little bit of insurance. So... (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I mean, quite funny 600 years later because tragedy plus time equals humour. But at the time, probably not very funny to young Vlad III. No, and also... People died in childbirth so hard, so frequently, and to just have invest and kids died as well. So have managed to to have managed to have raised a child to eleven, and then for some cunt to just be like, "I'm having that." <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh God, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah, like these two sons could be like the only two of nine that survived adulthood and the dad and you know, mm. he gets home and the wife's like where's the kids it's like yeah about that you know how we spent 10 years trying to conceive a child that would last longer than five minutes yeah well i've sort of left them in the ottoman empire in prison but hey we've always been talking about what we do when they went off to uni it's just come a little bit earlier hey let's go on that caravan holiday we always said we'd do <laughs> Incidentally, I have guaranteed Kath's loyalty to this podcast by keeping her sister locked in my basement. So the practice mm. continues to this day. Yeah, she loves it down there, though. Oh, yeah, she does. I've, I've sent some uh, men to Bukaki her, and uh, she's having a whale of a time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hi, Helen. <laughs> uh, according to NBCNews.com, under the Ottomans, Vlad and his younger brother were tutored in science, philosophy, and the arts. Vlad also became a skilled horseman and warrior. According to some accounts, however, he may also have been imprisoned and tortured for part of that time. Again, aged 11 to 14 at the point of capture. It's presenting two very different pictures of his life as a prisoner. On one hand, he's being tutored and educated in lots of things, fighting, philosophy, science, but also a suggestion he may have been tortured. The prison guard mm. must have been like, in the morning, we're going to drive screws into your nails, but after lunch, it's potato prints. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> Let's go ride horses, but not until I've broken your arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. exactly. 
According to Wikipedia, Vlad's brother and father were murdered after John Hunyadi, the regent governor of Hungary, invaded Wallachia in 1447. Hunyadi installed Vlad's second cousin, Vladislav II, as the new voivode, which is uh, sort of the name for the military leader, maybe kind of like their king type person. In late 1448, Vlad III uh, led an Ottoman army into Wallachia and was briefly in charge, but his cousin returned and Vlad sought refuge in the Ottoman Empire before the end of the year. This is like, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Like, yeah, he was sort of prisoner, but he's still nominally on the Ottoman side, at least at this point. So they, they'll send mm -hmm. him in as like someone with a legitimate claim to the throne to try and take over. Okay. According to Wikipedia, Vlad III invaded Wallachia with Hungarian support, Hungarian support this time, in 1456, and Vladislav II died during the invasion. According to NBC News, legend holds that he personally beheaded his opponent, Vladislav II, his cousin, in one-on-one -on -one combat. Amazing. Kath, what's the biggest beef you've ever had with a cousin? Oh, God. I have quite a lot of cousins, but I... <sighs> I guess they're all okay. So you've never got out of prison, gone home, and just found them in your room, living your life, and they're like, oh, Kath, whoa, didn't, wasn't expecting you out of prison so early. And you're <laughs> like, well, I behaved really well in there, so they let me out earlier. What are you, what are you doing here exactly? Because that seems to be what's happened with uh, Vlad coming out of his Ottoman jail. Yeah, I mean, usually whenever I've gotten out of prison um, before, I've just gone straight to the chip shop, and that's given whoever was in my room time to vacate it. Yeah. You're going to get some scallops. You've got 20 minutes to sling your hook. <laughs> exactly. That's just the polite way of doing it. You don't hang around. For that, yeah, behead the bugger. Multiple sources, including Leone Chalcocondyles, recorded that hundreds of thousands of people were executed at Vlad's order at the beginning of his reign. He began a purge against the boyars who had participated in the murder of his father and elder brother, of whom he suspected of plotting against him. Now, you might be thinking, I wonder if Vlad the Impaler got his name from his habit of storing receipts on a paper spike, or from a love mm -hmm. of breaking piñatas open with a pole to get to all the delicious treats inside. No, 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 baby. What? According to NBC News, to consolidate power, Vlad invited hundreds of Wallachian boyars to a banquet. He had them stabbed and their still-twitching bodies impaled. At a later date, dozens of Saxon merchants in Kronstadt, who were once allied with the boyars, were also impaled. I mean, personally, I reckon he probably also kept his receipts on a paper spike, because that's how he likes to roll. Yeah. He likes to pierce things front to back on large pointed objects. What I'm saying is you don't want to see what this prick does to an invoice. No, no. Um, but I mean, good God, that, that it sends a message, doesn't it? There's no one going, hmm, I wonder how Vlad feels about these people. <laughs> you know. You very much know. You know He's how not someone like, you know, you, want, you know how sometimes you're like, I don't know if that person likes me. You, you know you've got a suspicion. Mm -hmm. No one, everyone's very close, Vlad. It's like, I don't have a pole that's going through my spine and out of my tits. So therefore, I think Vlad likes me. Mm, for now. Um, you did actually hit on something with your keen historical mind there, Kath. He is sending messages, and very specifically, because Wallachia, as I've said, it's not a big power. And I think, like, this is the only thing he can wield, power-wise. Because uh, these stories that I'm, that I'm describing about him you know, murdering hundreds of people in one go in the most brutal manner possible on spikes. And the spike sometimes isn't just going back to front. Spike sometimes going anus to mouth all the way through. Oh, God, you don't have anus in your mouth. 
dear. The people at Thames said that was the worst thing. Not that every <laughs> internal organ had been burst open, but they were like, I can taste anus in my mouth, and I'm not even rimming someone. This is the worst day ever. <laughs> it's my anus I can taste. <laughs> I don't mind tasting my wife's anus, but my own. Come on. <laughs> oh. I've got standards. Oh. Has anyone got a mint? <laughs> <laughs> It, like just blood spurting out and the shoulders walking off. It, just please, please, if you've got a polo, you've got a polo. <laughs> Have mercy. <laughs> Have mercy. Give me some spearmint now. <laughs> also, I reckon if I had to stab a hundred people, I well, I couldn't do it alone because after the first one, people had realised what was going on as you went for the second. So, how many people do you reckon he had? Uh, to stab a hundred people that's question one question two how do you think he managed to get those people to shut the fuck up because everyone would be gossiping like are you coming to the stabbing tonight i mean the party (laughs) as question one is i think i'm british so i can only assume that when vlad said i'm going to impale everyone here on spikes they just formed an orderly queue and that their only annoyance was the situation was queue jumpers or when the queue becomes indistinct and it's unclear where one person ends and one person starts, because that's because as British people, that's very much our annoyance. And they didn't have wristbands back then either, so I suspect the impalers probably quite enjoyed it. Yeah. So actually, their, their excitement at it was probably made it sound like the victims were going to something quite fun, like you know, are you coming to the meal tonight? Oh, it's going to be so good. Why? What's you got on store? I don't want to spoil the surprise. Oh my god, it's going to be great! <laughs> uh, oh, this dinner's going to be great. It must be like a five-course meal. Look how excited the the guys are. They've even got their knives ready, and their <laughs> knives are six foot tall. I think they booked Adele to sing. Kath, <laughs> Vlad is now beginning to earn his name, Vlad the Impaler. Uh, what would your definite article nickname be based on what you've done in your life so far, if anything? Kath. The lie downer, I guess. Cat, cat the lazy. Cat the horizontal. Yes. No, that makes me sound slaggy, and I, yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I haven't got the social skills to be slaggy. Oh, mate, if you're worried about pulling, don't worry. Cat the horizontal's going to be there. <laughs> uh, Lord, that I could. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's actually a thread in this podcast: is you genuinely wishing you had the confidence to, to get banged uh, on a regular basis by a large number of men. Mm, alas. Will I ever live that dream? <laughs> <laughs> what would your uh, your name be? Mine would be Aidan the Room Killer. Mm. And that's based on how my stand-up career has gone so far. You set up a good vibe. I will drive that vibe into the ground, mm-hmm. creating a hellish vacuum of no comedy for the next act I have to deal with. Yeah, and also murder people as well. According to National Geographic, sometime during this period, Vlad III seems to have switched sides in the Ottoman-Hungarian conflict, gaining the military support of Hungary. In 1459, Mehmed II sent an embassy to Vlad III, claiming a tribute of 10,000 ducats and 300 young boys. When the diplomats declined to remove their turbans, citing religious custom, Vlad III saluted their devotion by nailing their hats to their heads. Um, Kath, what's the rudest thing a house guest has ever done to you and what's the bloody cruelty that you meted out as punishment for it? Uh, I guess um, not taking their shoes off at the door. Classic, you know how it is. 
and what I did was I, it, I mean, it wasn't too harsh, I don't think. It was it was just fine. I, uh, I, I kneecapped them. You kneecapped it? Yeah. Didn't do it again. I thought you were going to nail the shoes to their feet. But kneecapping sends a stronger message, I think. It does, yeah. Because it hurts. <laughs> just bloody there. The, the rudest thing a, a guest ever done to me is uh, they've not brought beer. And then they've mm. drank all my beer. Ugh. Um, and yeah. what I did was I cut open their stomach and I nailed a can of red stripe to their bladder mm. and said, there, enjoy your beer, mate. I thought you were going to say you just drank the beer from their stomach, but your <laughs> idea is much better, you're right. According to Miranda Twiss's book, The Most Evil Men and Women in History, in 1462, in a letter to Corvinus, Vlad III bragged, we killed 23,884 Turks without counting those whom we burnt in homes or the Turks whose heads were cut by soldiers. Now, what I get, don't get is, if you've counted 23,884, why not also count the burn victims and the head cuts? Like, <laughs> you've got so far. Like, you know, hell of a job. You've, you've counted all those bodies. And this is before the spreadsheets exist. It does feel weird to be so meticulous on the one hand and on the other hand <laughs> yeah. be like, oh, and you know, the people in the houses. Yeah, we killed 23,884 people. What about people you burned to death? Oh, who cares? You're only a person if you're outside. If, you, <laughs> yeah. if you're inside, you can fuck yourself. People know that agoraphobics don't have souls mm. so we don't count them as people yeah i mean we do yeah we're joking we uh we are agoraphobic uh allies on this podcast mm-hmm. yeah so we killed a lot of turks there's probably a great shortage of barbers i don't know if that joke's racist or not i'll decide later and maybe cut it out <laughs> nbc news uh, nbc news website says on one occasion he reportedly dined among a veritable forest of defeated warriors writhing on impaled poles. It's not known whether tales of Vlad III Dracula dipping his bread in the blood of his victims are true, but stories about his unspeakable sadism swirled throughout Europe. Uh, You know, say what you want about Vlad's cruelty. Stalin did not eat his porridge in the gulags. Mao did not eat his dumplings in the wheat fields. No. He's he's owning his shitheadedness. He is, and I kind of respect him for fully embracing... Because I think politicians now... They'll, they, they're unblemished by war and the shit that they cause, aren't they? They just say things and in their palaces and, and, and horror happens and they never have to witness it. So I do um, respect him for being like, no, no, bring the horror to me. <laughs> but imagine how badly that dining room must smell to have loads of people just impaled. That would put me off my food. And for that reason, I'm going off him. <laughs> Up until now, you've been like, this is a this is a valid sexual partner. Mm-hmm. But once you heard he, he eats among dead bodies. thing is, though, I don't think it would smell. I think as long as you got out there with your fish and chips immediately. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, if you, yeah. if you wait around a week, then, yeah, it's going to fucking stink. But if you're just like... Are they freshly spiked? Are they freshly impaled? They are, but you shit yourself, though, don't you, when you die? Just everything comes out. But I sort of feel back then, just every, I just assume everything's stunk of shit. Because there's no, mm. like, sanitation or anything. There's no toilets. Yeah. So I just think everything stinks of shit. So it's got to be... That's probably not an issue. Yeah, fair enough. No, I'm back in. All right. I, I always eat my lunch just writhing around on my own shit anyway, so it wouldn't even bother me. Hmm. Uh, if you, Kath, if you were dipping your bread in the blood of your victims, would you butter the bread first or not? 
Yeah, I'm not a monster. <laughs> Vlad Philippe could be a dick to his own people as well as Ottomans, according to National Geographic. To get rid of the homeless people and beggars, whom he viewed as thieves, he invited a large number to a feast, locked the doors, and burned them all alive. Oh, Kathy, uh, you know when a city hosts the Olympics or something, and they try and sort out the homeless problem. Well, imagine if whichever UK city gets to host Eurovision, they use the old burning them in a big house method. I wouldn't put that past the Tories. And that calf, that's the sound of the satire siren going off. A nice clear bit of satire. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't actually count as killing people, does it, if they're inside? So. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we've established they don't have souls. No, you'd have to include them in the war dead. So <laughs> exactly, and uh, you don't have to, yeah, you don't have to put the name on a on a cenotaph. In total, uh, sorry, according to NBC News, in total, Vlad is estimated to have killed about eighty thousand people through various means. This includes some twenty thousand people who were impaled and put on display outside the city of Targovist. The site was so repulsive that the invading Ottoman Sultan Mehmed II. After seeing the scale of Vlad's carnage and the thousands of decaying bodies being picked apart by crows, turned back and retreated to Constantinople. This is what I'm saying. He's not a big power, but he's literally just turned back one of the two biggest world powers in the world by putting these bodies on spikes. This abject cruelty that he has is his biggest weapon. He's willing to go further than anyone else. In a way, he's like Trump. Trump's rhetoric is terrible, and that's his power. It's like he breaks all the norms by just saying the unsayable, the things that no one else says, and that creates some perverse appeal around him. I reckon the main jobs in Wallachia were body counters, Mm -hmm. spike makers, closely followed by spike inserters. Mm-hmm. And I reckon shares in pointy poles went through the roof when Vlad III became voivod of, of Wallachia. Which of those three jobs would you take on? <laughs> oh. oh, well, the spike makers, obviously. Yeah. Sorry. I was acting like it was difficult. <laughs> so, Stefan, you've applied for the position of spike inserter. Uh, have you done this job before? To my wife. Uh... <laughs> Whee! That's very funny, Stefan. Um, but uh, this actually is a serious job interview. Uh, there's a big gap on your CV here. Uh, were you inserting spikes into people at that time, or, or what? The big gap, like my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? We need a bit of a morale boost here. So although you're not taking this job interview seriously, we are, we are <laughs> going to give you the job. Uh, where do you see yourself in five years? Head of spike inserting. You're hired. Historical hot or not. According to National Geographic, Vlad III's power, money and troops had ebbed away so much that Matthias I was able to take him prisoner in 1462. Now, this is evidence, in my view, that a spike-based economy cannot thrive. Sure, everyone's got jobs in the spike factories, but you're not selling the spikes to third parties, are you? You're making them for yourself so you can impale Ottomans. That's no system for an economy. What they need is a Thatcher-type figure to come in and privatise pointy-pole manufacturers. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> and that's someone from the north saying that. <laughs> Vlad was in prison for 12 years, presumably doing more potato prints and reading kids' books, until Matthias I decided to send him back to Wallachia to recover it for Hungary. While on his way to battle, and no doubt impale more Ottomans, Vlad was ambushed and beheaded at the age of 45, 46, 47, 48, or 49. No one knows, but it was one of those numbers. His head was displayed above the Constantinople city gates by Mehmed II. Interesting fact, if Hitler hadn't killed himself in his bunker, apparently Churchill was going to put Hitler's head on the fourth plinth. That's mm-hmm. a true historical fact for you. Oh, no. 
his legacy, according to Panitescu's The German Stories about Vlad Tepes and Trepto's Dracula, Essays on the Life of Times of Vlad Tepes, the story of Vlad's plundering raids in Transylvania were clearly based on eyewitness account because they contain accurate details, including the list of churches destroyed by Vlad and the dates of the raids. So basically, it's almost certain that the numbers involved in how many people this guy impaled and killed were exaggerated by German people. Mm -hmm. But the fact that contemporary stories actually contain accurate historical details suggests some of them are true. And also stories about Vlad and his uh, spike inserting antics do show up in Romanian, German and Greek uh, sort of folk stories. So they do reckon it's true, basically. They reckon this guy was out there definitely being a cunt. That is undisputed. Mm, yeah. Vlad III's bloodthirsty antics were popularised in the 19th century by William Wilkinson, the British consul to Wallachia, and his book, An Account of the Principalities of Wallachia and Moldovia, with various political observations relating to them. Very wordy. Should have just called it Spike Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, uh, one of the Avengers. <laughs> so like, oh, God. Oh, stop. No, please. <laughs> I am Spike Man. <laughs> that was like that when you were talking about Mary Shelley. Her dad or someone wrote a book about feminism and had the most long... They like these long-winded titles in the 18th and 19th century. No wiggle room for imagination. You know exactly what that book's about. Just call it Where's Vlad? Just try and find him among uh, frescoes. Vladdy, Vladdy, stick man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, according to National Geographic, Vlad III is something of a national hero in Romania, where he is remembered for defending his people from foreign invasion, Turkish soldiers or German merchants. I like how all it takes to be a hero is to defend them a bit. I mean, that's not that that's not a, a valid thing. For this guy, it's clearly... A massive cunt. I would go as far as to say that this guy seems to have medical-grade cruelty issues. <laughs> I think even yeah. for the time, he sounds bad. That's the thing, like, most people in history are pricks because they have weird views about shit. Mm -hmm. And this guy... I'm going to say it, Kath. Piece of work. Mm -hmm. Not afraid to call a spade a spade. <laughs> or a spike a spike. Not afraid to call a spike a spike. A piece of work, a piece of work, or mm. a guy with a shit moustache, a guy with a shit moustache. He was all those things. I just, I just think he'd be quite high maintenance. You wouldn't really know where you were at with him, would you? You'd be like, darling, you've not put the bins out again. And then he just gently brushes fingertips against a spike in the corner. And you're like, fine, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> Or like, I mean, it's interesting. There's not much known about his personal life that I could find. But it must have been weird being married to him. He's like, shall we eat in the garden? It's a nice day. And you look out the window and just see loads of people on spikes. And you're like, let's just eat indoors. Let's just eat indoors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, good. There are people on spikes in here as well. <laughs> when are you going to clean them up, Vlad? They've been here forever. I, got, I can't do the washing. I can't get round them. Come on. Yeah, Vlad's like, have we got any dipping sauce? And you're like, I'll get it. I'll get the dipping sauce. You just, you just stick <laughs> that down. Because uh, it's going to be blood again, isn't it, if you get it? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Whereas I'll just get some soy sauce or something, or some olive oil, like a normal fucking person. <laughs> Jesus. Vlad III was only partially the inspiration for Bram Stoker's Dracula. According to National Geographic, vampires were in vogue in the late Victorian period. And Stoker would have likely been familiar with earlier Gothic works, such as Goethe's poem, The Bride of Corinth, The Vampire, a short story by John Polidori, Byron and Mary Shelley's friend, mentioned in previous episodes, and the novel Carmilla by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu, amongst others. Uh, that's kind of the end. Uh, other sources I used for this episode included Deseret.com and History.com. Kath. 
Mm-hmm. Would you let Vlad impale you with his big fleshy spike? Oh, it's a difficult one, Aidan, because on the one hand, yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> for, what, for what reason? <laughs> but on the other hand, no. Um, so... <laughs> Cool, we'll see you next week. Uh, nice <laughs> clicker answer from Kath there. Yeah, uh, well, so on the one hand, he uh, he's quite a good-looking lad. He didn't have the best start in life, and that's got to fuck you up. You can't be annoyed at somebody for that, can you? I imagine options would have been limited at the time, so to have somebody who comes from money offer to, to impale you, then you, know, you, you bite the hand off, don't you? <laughs> On the other hand, I think that he would be quite high maintenance, as I said before. You'd be a bit on edge around him. You'd be worrying about what you say, wouldn't you? I was going to say, I think for that reason, it'd be a no. Uh, as much as I want it to be a yes, I just think he's a bit mad. <laughs> but, like, not mad in a kooky way, like uh, in, in the early noughties when everyone was... You know when people would just be like, oh, cheese, isn't that random? And you're like, no, you, no, sh- shut the fuck up. <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't tolerate that level of, of, um, of quirkiness, of, of mentalness, let alone having dead people in your house all the time. I mean, a guy at work who sometimes puts a whoopee cushion down, tolerable. Mm-hmm. Insane bloodlust, not so much. No, it's, it doesn't turn me on. You raise a, a good question, Kath, that I sometimes think about when I listen to Evil Genius, a very good BBC mm-hmm. podcast hosted by Russell Kane, which is they will be quite forgiving if someone had a fucked up childhood, even if they were awful as an adult. Mm-hmm. But at what point... Does the awfulness cross over to something that is uh, is not attractive? A 10,000 10, impaled Turks, uh, are we okay with that? But once it crosses over to 2001, are you like, this wide on is closing, baby. How does that work? <laughs> My minge made the Microsoft Office closing down <laughs> sound. <laughs> mm. And it did it very specifically at the 20,000th Turk that you impaled. <laughs> I don't know. I would say any murders would be perhaps too many on a personal level. You have always frowned upon murder. I have. Okay, I'm going to pitch something to you, Kath. Yeah. One extra thing to consider. We don't know anything about his personal life. What if he's lovely? And the reason I ask that (laughs) is because I, I think there must be a lot of people who are married to people who are quite charming and nice and loving what your partner tells you about their day job you take for you just take it at their word mm. i reckon there must be a lot of people who don't realize that they're married to just horrendous pricks who just treat their work colleagues like utter shit well, and what if lads like that what if is what if his partner doesn't know how, how just how much of an a-hole he is at work just how much of a horrible boss that's effectively what he is mm. you know again not afraid to Call a spade a spade in. Rad 3 is a horrible boss. Mm. Well, that was a thing, wasn't it, in the lockdown when everyone started working from home? People were realising who their partner was at work and were like, oh no, oh, oh, I'm married to a, a man who says, we'll put a pin in that. <laughs> no. I thought I was married to someone with a good work ethic. This is the 10th cup of tea he's made this morning. It's not even lunchtime yet. Do you make this many <laughs> cups of tea at work? No wonder his teeth are so brown. <laughs> yeah. The, on the divorce filing paper, it just says, under reasons for divorce, heard him once say, blue sky thinking. <laughs> well, you fall into my trap, Kath, because I got a bit annoyed in series one. Five of the six people 
we we said we'd ban, which is more on me actually, because I said yes to everyone you proposed to, me, <laughs> and you said yes to two of the three. So mm-hmm. I thought I'm going to do a absolutely abhorrent twat, and that calf can't possibly say yes to um, for the first episode of season two. And uh, you walked right into my trap, hook, line, sinker, and copy of Angling Times. So mm-hmm. um, Vlad the Impaler will not be making it onto the Biotap Vatistrin. It shall uh-uh. remain as Jane Fool, Lord Byron, Judy the Dog, Joe Two, and Mary Shelley. I'm doing that off memory, Kath. I'm going to. If we make a thousand episodes of this, <laughs> I'm just going to keep doing that. So by the time we get to episode a thousand, most of the episode is just me trying to perform some insane and highly boring memory stunt. <laughs> that's that's what the people are here for. Historical hot or not. That's it for this week's uh, Historical Hot or Not. Please share us. Um, if you go on our Instagram, every week we post a, a couple of clips from the episode. Add it to your stories. Add it to your reels. Share it. Uh, liking is also good, but there's nothing beats a retweet. Nothing beats a, a share to story, in my view. We would like to do this uh, professionally, so go to ko-fi.com, co-fi.com, hot not pod, and give us some cash. Buy us a coffee. Uh, we can. We also have uh, promotional journeys, uh, and they're pretty cool. So you can get those from coffee as well. So you can both get laid and have a banging podcast recommendation for your bow. What I do is I slap the Johnny on, and when the partner says, "What's that on the? What's that skull on the packet?" You go, "Ah, that's the excellent new comedy historical podcast." Historical hot or not? Why don't I just play it while I finger blast you? What could mm-hmm. make a more romantic evening in than that? Yeah, that's basically uh, what we are making this podcast. This is in- intended use. Is background sex noises? <laughs> yeah, you know how like the comedy go to porn music is like, but we want to displace that in culture over time. Mm-hmm. So the soundtrack to porn will be like cats going, Mary Shelley was born in eighteen thirty <laughs> and that'll like become <laughs> that'll become the porn soundtrack of the future. Yeah, and they're just listing dead children. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Historical Hot and Art. We'll be back next week. And remember, it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside of the coffin that counts. Stay horny everybody. Stay sexy. You have been listening to Historical Hot or Not with me, Catherine Mather and Aidan McCaffrey. Theme song by David Eagle and our logo is by Richard Todd. You can head over to co-b.com forward slash hotnotpod. Over there we've got some Hot Not merch. We are currently selling branded condoms and branded badges. Get over there while stocks last.